Welcome to Southside Community Church. Enjoy our Sunday morning message. Uh, the kids are dismissed to go back to their classrooms. And while the kids are going back to their classrooms, <clears throat> we, uh, we do have a need for more kids' ministry volunteers. So if uh, you are interested in strengthening your serving muscles, um, kids' ministry is a great place to do that. We have some uh, three wonderful directors that are leading that and a kids' ministry council that is I'm helping give oversight, and it is moving in a really, really strong and good direction. In fact, uh, your kids will receive the first ever monthly newsletter today um, that will give you tips and ideas on how to partner with us and as you disciple your kids. So exciting and good things, and if you want to be a part of that, uh, please let me know or one of our three directors. Um, you can also email us at info at southsideworcester.com, and we'll point you in the right direction. And also, by way of reminder, we have a question and answer session. We're going to do that after, after each of the teachings for this particular series. And you are welcome to ask a question after service if you want clarification on something that I said during the teaching. So if something comes up, feel free to write that down. And uh, Pastor Al will be walking around with a microphone after service <clears throat> or after the teaching. We're going through a series based on the book Emotionally Healthy Discipleship by Peter Scazzaro, and the idea is that disciples of Jesus should be the emotion, most emotionally healthy people alive, and that we are becoming more and more predictably kind. Now, we talked in our, we had a little men's gathering on Wednesday night, and one of the things that we said is that following Jesus ought to have the effect of people not guessing what your mood is going to be on any particular day. Moodiness is not a fruit of the Spirit. You know, we should be emotionally mature enough as disciples of Christ that our kids, our family, our spouses aren't wondering what side of the bed we woke up on. More and more, we should be predictably warm and kind and gracious and sweet and tenderhearted and gentle and patient. In other words, more and more in our lives, the fruit of the Spirit should be evident to the people around us, the people closest to us. That is a sign that we have the real disease, that the Spirit of God is actually living in us. People aren't flinching when they're around us, wondering how we're doing before they say anything. We're joyful and we're kind, more and more consistently. That's emotionally healthy discipleship. This particular teaching goes with chapter six in that book, Discovering the Treasures Buried in Grief and Loss, but like we've done for all of these, you don't have to have read the, the chapter in order to get something out of the teaching. This is meant to um, correspond with the teaching and supplement the, supplement the chapter, but not necessarily fit like a glove with it. So what I wanna focus on during this sermon is some of the ways that God has uniquely resourced Christians to deal with suffering. And what he's given us, the people who are in the, in the family of Christ, because we live in a time and in an age where we don't really deal well with suffering, with grief. We live in, some people have called it the aspirin generation, where if there is any type of pain, there's some type of remedy to medicate it, to soften it, 
so that it'll help us avoid actually feeling the full expression of whatever suffering we're facing. Whenever I meet with a family uh, that I'm walking with towards uh, funeral preparations, I always, um, because I can't assume that the, they're getting instruction on how to grieve from anywhere else, so I always say, um, in order to let grief do its work, you need to learn how to do it properly. And the way that you allow grief to do its work is when you feel sad, allow yourself to feel the full expression of that sadness. Don't try to numb it. Don't try to run from it. Don't try to Netflix yourself through it. Allow yourself to feel the full weight and gravity of that sadness. And then when you're not sad, don't feel guilty because you're not sad. It's another thing. The, gre- the guilt that comes with grief is something that we don't talk a lot about a lot. Some people don't feel sad right away, and then they feel guilty about it. If you don't feel sad, don't worry about it. You will. And when you do feel sad, allow yourself to feel it. Don't run away from it. Now, some of us in this room have faced a lot of grief and su- suffering, and some of us haven't. Some of us have lived kind of charmed lives where we've been shielded. Either way, it's irrelevant. And the reason is because we are, as a body of Christ, organically linked together in Christ. We are members of one another so that the Bible says when one of us suffers, all of us suffer. So whether or not you have experienced suffering is irrelevant in this because as Christians, we learn how to walk with one another through suffering and actually we learn how to carry one another's sufferings. Suffering plays a prominent role in scripture. Andrew Sheed in his book, A Mouthful of Fire, which is about the book of Jeremiah, says this, not a moment of Jesus's life was untroubled. From his birth, which resulted in probably a dozen or so toddler boys his age getting murdered because they might have been him, Herod thought, all the way to Golgotha at the end of his life. The shadow of the cross loomed large over the life of Jesus. In the Old Testament, the most prominent type of psalm in the book of Proverbs is lament. A lament, as Walt Brueggemann says, is expressing your disorientation to God. It's articulating your disorientation to God. Life is thrown me a bunch of curveballs. I don't know what's going on. I don't know what's happening. I feel like I have a lot of enemies right now. I feel like a lot of people are upset with me. I feel like things are going really, really bad for me. I feel like there's, this is not going to end well. It's a lament is expressing your disorientation to God. You're unsure about what's happening and you're speaking to God about it. There's actually a book in the Bible called Lamentations plays a prominent role in the Old Testament, but also in the New Testament. Ajith Fernando says that most New Testament letters were written to address some type of suffering, which makes me wonder why we try to avoid it in our teaching so much. I'd like for us to look at one of those New Testament passages today, and if you have a Bible, you can turn to Romans chapter 5. Uh, If you do not have a Bible, or if it's difficult for you to follow along, if you just want to listen, actually the Bible was originally written to be heard. So it's okay if you just want to listen. 
That's a great way of receiving scripture, and you can follow along with your ears. If you want to follow along with your eyes, I would encourage you to have a one-stop shop Bible that has margins and that you use it for everything. We use the ESV version. And you can write notes from things that you hear in messages so that when you go back through and you read Romans 5 again, you'll remember some of the things that you heard today. I'm going to read the passage in its entirety, and then we're going to walk through it together slowly. Romans chapter 5 Verses 1 through 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Father, as we go through this, open our hearts and our minds to the truth contained in and under these words. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's start walking through it. Romans 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, and you know, you've heard before, that if there's a therefore in Scripture, you have to figure out what it's there for. So the, traditionally, people have um, thought of the first five chapters in Romans as those chapters that deal with justification. Justification is how we are justified, how we are made right in our standing before the Father, before the judge, before the king, before the creator. How are we made right before him? And it's all about the work that Christ has done for us, and so when we put our faith in Christ, we are justified. And then Traditionally, verses, chapters 6 through 8 in Romans talks about sanctification, the process of becoming more Christ-like, the process of looking more and more like God's moral, beautiful character. But I think, actually, and this has been in some, there's been some conversation and some teaching about this recently, that actually, starting in chapter 5, we begin to see the benefits of what it means to be justified the benefits of what it means to be in Christ. And this is where Paul starts with us in dealing with suffering. In other words, these benefits aren't attainable without union with Christ. Paul's gonna give us some resources to deal with our sufferings in life and our grief and our losses in life. But they're not available by any other means. They're supernaturally imparted through life with Christ. You can't get them by positive thinking. You can't get them by um, any number of ways that we look to fix ourselves when we're broken. Meditation, there's no way to receive this type of help other than through Christ. 
if you want permanent, real help for suffering, he's the only one that has a permanent, real answer for it. So that's the first thing that we see. Now that we have been justified by faith, we've taken care of that, you are in the family, you've entrusted yourself to God and his care through the work of Christ. Now what? We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Peace with God is the foundation of every other benefit. Now we're not talking about tranquility. We said, um, at the men's thing, we said that tranquility is non-reactive peace. It, it doesn't depend on other things around you. It doesn't react to the crazy or the anxiety around you. It stay, tranquility stays steady. It's an internal way of living. That's not what we're talking about. That is a benefit. We do get peace in that way, subjective peace from God, but that's not what this is talking about specifically. What Paul's talking about here is relational peace, relational harmony. There's no longer a rift, a broad chasm between us and God. We are brought near to him because he has come near to us. So when we're suffering, God's not distance. He, he's not impersonal. He's not disinterested. He, he is nearer than our very breath because he's drawn near to us in Christ. He's with us in suffering. So the first thing that God has given us to deal with pain, loss, grief, suffering is himself. A God who has himself experienced loss and suffering Verse 2, through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. There's a great old novel that was translated into English from, from French, so it's a little bit clunky and a little hard to read, but it is just a, it's a beautiful story of a French priest who lives in this small village, and it's like his diary of all the things that he faces and all of his dealings with people in his parish. And there's a lot of mundane, there's a little bit of grief, there's a little bit of celebration, but it's the ins and outs, the day in, the day out work of a priest at the small parish in, in France. At the very end of the book is this beautiful line. After looking back at his life and all the ways he's dealt with grief, loss, heartache, births, deaths, birthdays, baptisms, communions. After all of it, he says this, grace is everywhere. God has given us access through faith in Christ into a wonderland of grace, a world in which every square inch is shaded by his sovereign grace, where even in suffering, we're able to see all the colors of life through this prism of God's love and grace. Even in our suffering, even in our darkest moments, I had a friend named Jim Baker who lived in Cleveland, and Jim uh, went to one of our FEC churches for a while, Pathway. And he was a man who suffered in a lot of different ways, but a beautiful soul and had incredible compassion that only comes through suffering. Uh, his daughter, when she was in college, was riding back from spring break with her friends 
and uh, it was storming and raining really hard, and they had cruise control on, which don't ever put the cruise control on when you are, when it's raining. And they hydroplaned. And he said the only way that he was able to identify his daughter's body was by the unique hairline that she had. And we were at Beulah Beach at a men's retreat. We had a lecturer in from San Diego that was teaching us the theology of suffering and God's sovereignty in the midst of that. And then there was this debate that broke out about what's God's role in that? Does he cause that? Does he allow that? All this crazy stuff that we think it's fun to debate. And Jim stood up in the middle of it, in the middle of the room and said, guys, I can't listen to this anymore. And he told a story. And he said, you know, you talk about this so lightly and I've never experienced the sovereign grace of God until I held my daughter's hand in the casket. And he said, and I was comforted in ways that no human thing could ever comfort me. No creaturely thing could ever comfort me. There was a nearness of the spirit of Jesus himself that bolstered me, that covered me over with a deep contentment, a deep realization, understanding that my daughter is with Jesus and I'll see her soon. That's sovereign grace. Everywhere we look, even in our darkest hours and moments, there is sustaining grace. God will not allow you to not feel his presence in those dark moments. He's not just a God of, you can have everything you've ever dreamed of now. You can always be happy. You don't have to worry about suffering. Even in suffering, God's there. And sometimes the way that he's there is beautiful stories of redemption and healing that become a treasure for other people to see the goodness of Jesus in those things. And when it isn't that story, he's still there. Friends, we don't have the resources to deal with suffering apart from Christ. We don't have it in us apart from Christ. And it, says, it goes on, and Paul says, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Now this word used for glory refers to the weightiness of God the density of God. One study Bible says his honor, his majest, uh, majesty, and his overwhelming presence. That is the glory of God. And the wild thing about God's glory is that he gives it to us. He shares his glory with us. Listen to this passage in Isaiah 60, verses one through two. Arise, shine, for your light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you. So God has this denseness, this weightiness, this solidness to who he is, to his character. And as we learn to follow Christ and endure the sufferings of life, we get that type of glory ourselves. And we become sources of light and compassion and strength and grace for others as we experience it directly from God. Now, what is, how does that happen? 
The way to glory is through suffering. There's, a, there's an old saying that went around in ministry for, uh, when I first got into ministry, I'd hear this a lot, and that is that God won't use a pastor until he breaks him. God won't use a pastor until he breaks him. And there's a difference between technical excellence in teaching theology in a sermon and potency, power in a message. When Kara and I were visiting different churches, um, after, you know, during my hiatus of ministry back in 2015, we, uh, we went to a church that had this, this young man that was preaching who was getting a PhD in, I think, patristic theology from Oxford. Brilliant, brilliant guy. It was, it was exciting and fun to hear him preach technical excellence with all his theology. He said everything perfectly in measured words and in beautiful ways. It was technically beautiful, but it wasn't powerful. There was another man we started listening to who understood theology and had been studying it for decades. But when he preached, this is a man who's gone through suffering. When he preached, there was an extra potency to it. It struck you in a different way. It landed different than this other younger man who hadn't experienced the, the traumas of life that this other man had. The way to the type of density and glory that God wants to give us is through suffering. It produces depth in us that nothing else can. The goal is not to be half-developed humans who thrive when everything's going right. The, the goal is to be fully developed humans who thrive no matter what because of our grace that we receive from Christ. Verse three, not only that, but we rejoice, we rejoice in our sufferings. And we rejoice in our sufferings because we know that God does not waste pain. God does not waste anything. Suffering yields all manner of good in our lives as long as we embrace the process instead of trying to avoid the process. God doesn't waste anything, but we sometimes do. And if we don't allow suffering to do its work, if we just try to ignore it or medicate ourselves through it, then it's going to come back in different ways and in different waves, stronger and stronger until we receive the work that God wants to do through it. God, we are God's children, and we will always be God's children, but God would like us to become his adult children who can deal with pain. Kids don't deal with pain very well. Adults should be able to deal with pain. Now, Paul's going to begin spelling out the, the process of how God uses suffering to grow us up. Knowing that suffering produces endurance. Suffering makes us anti-fragile, spiritually speaking. And there's a steadfastness, which is this ability to stay the course when things get difficult that is only going to be exercised through suffering. We learn to stay put when we suffer. We learn to stay under the pressure and the weight of the situation instead of trying to squirm out from underneath it. Suffering produces endurance. Verse four, and endurance produces character. 
Character is not a great translation. It's, the word in Greek is so much thicker than that. It actually means um, someone who has been proven to be able to remain stable and steady under pressure. Someone who is able to remain stable and steady under pressure. They don't run away from it. Uh, when, when the United States Special Forces started training Iraqi soldiers on how to defend themselves and defend their country, um, knowing that the, the American soldiers would be leaving at some point, the Special Forces people um, said that it was really difficult at first because they were used to trying to avoid any type of fear or any type of situation that could produce suffering. So they would practice breaching a building. Over and over they'd practice and they'd train the Iraqi soldiers, here's how you do this, here's how you do this. And then when it got to the place where it was a real life scenario where they were breaching a building to go rescue, one situation was a, a teenage boy who had been kidnapped by these terrorists and they were gonna go rescue this boy. And um, the special forces went, they knocked down the, the door, they breached the building, they were going in and the Iraqi soldiers, they got to the door and turned around and left. They just ran. And they were like, we don't want to you know, be too hard on them because they've never received training. They've never been taught how to stay in difficult and scary positions and not leave. But they would run. So the special forces went in and rescued the boy. And then they came back uh, to the camp and they debriefed with the soldiers. And they said, yeah, that's when we actually need you the most. So you ran, and what we want you to do is actually go into it, embrace the suffering, go into the room. You're rescuing somebody. This kid's life is dependent on us being swift. You're going to have to stick it through. They did it again with another situation, the Iraqis left. And finally, they said the only way we could teach them is they went to the next building, they breached the door. And the Iraqi soldiers turned around and started running backwards. And the American soldiers, there was a wall of them, and they literally stopped them and pushed them into the room and said, you are going to do this. You're okay. This is good for you. This is good for the people who are depending on you. They had to come alongside them and help them figure out how to endure under the strain, the weight of the, the fear in the moment. And we have to do that for each other too. Because I'm gonna be tempted to try to escape suffering when it happens in my life, and you can't let me do that. When I was, uh, um, I got a promotion at my, my last church, and it, the amount of responsibility like quadrupled. And I was really anxious about it. And I would have these executive meetings with the leaders of our churches, and. They would talk about all the things that are happening on the campuses, and I'm responsible for this department over multi-campuses, and I'm like, I, I don't wanna, I can barely even keep track of what's happening at my own campus. I don't think I'm the guy for this. I kept trying to get out of it. I didn't, the, like the senior pastor was like, Grimwood, you don't, you act like you don't even want the position. I said, I don't want the position. I'm not, at, like, I literally don't. I want you to give it to somebody else. And he was like, we're not going to. And when I was leaving the meeting one time, one of the guys um, that was mentoring me, uh, a pastor, came alongside. He's like, Greg, stand still. Be steady. There's a lot of pressure. We feel a lot of pressure. We get it. We understand. Don't 
Run from it. Be steady. Calm down. Stay the course. Be steadfast. That was incredibly helpful. Usually just telling someone to do something like that isn't helpful. For some reason, God's Spirit spoke through His words into me in a way that transformed me. And we have to do that for each other. Because through those difficult times is when there's a type of character that's produced in suffering that there's no other circumstance that will avail that type of character. And character produces hope. Hope in Scripture means confidence. It's not like, I'm hoping the Browns win today. That's not a very well-founded hope. They'll find a way to lose. Like, so we, we are going to hope, when we say we hope in God, it means we are confident in God. He will show up in this way for us. And when you face suffering and you see God come through over and over again, you're building up a resume of God's goodness in your life. So that when you face it the next time, you, it's not quite as tempting to try to escape it because you remember how good God was the last time. Stick with it and see what God does. And every time you see him come through, it'll get, it gets easier the next time. Verse five, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. I wanna let Stuart Briscoe speak to this. He says it far better than I can. I'm gonna read what, what he says about that verse. When the Spirit of God enters the life of the redeemed, he opens blind eyes to the wonder of divine love and shows the believer that from now on, his life is destined to be governed by this love. And all circumstances will be related to a loving purpose. It is knowledge of the divine process and the loving purpose that equips believers for rejoicing in tribulations. When you are in Christ, because he has poured out his love into your heart, Everything around you is going to be impacted and shaped by his love for you. God will not allow anything to happen to you that he can't and that he won't use to allow you to experience greater and greater measures of his love for you, of his grace in your life. He won't, if you are in Christ, if he's poured his love into your heart, he will use everything to the end of you believing and knowing and experiencing his love in greater and greater intensity for the rest of eternity. Not a bad promise. I want to end with just three very practical ways that God helps us through suffering because now we see how God uses suffering and what he does with suffering and how he helps us in some ways through suffering. But I wanna give you very, three very practical things that I have experienced from God that will help you get through some of the dip, difficult seasons of life. One is from, and, and by the way, I would encourage you, if you do have your Bible, if you like 
um, following along with scripture, use the front matter of your Bible. Like, use this as a library of things that have helped you, things that you've heard or things that you want to remember when you face different things in life. Use the, the front pages and the back pages that are blank in your Bible to begin writing things down so that wherever you go, if you have this, you have resources to remind yourself how God's going to help you through whatever you're facing. So you could even write these verses. Here are three practical ways that God helps us in suffering. One is Acts chapter 3, verses 19 through 20. You don't have to turn there. You can just listen to it. Acts chapter 3, verses 19 through 20. I'll read it. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. I've experienced this, and this is a promise. This is something that actually happens. When you're in the midst of difficult situations, when you're in the midst of trials, when you're in the midst of things that are hard for you to stay under, when you're in the midst of suffering and grief and loss, there will be moments in the midst of those things where God will give you what, he, what Luke calls seasons of refreshment in the book of Acts. Seasons of refreshment where your soul just feels like spring in the midst of winter. It's like, it's like having those, those days, 70 degrees and sunny towards the end of fall or in the middle of winter, all of a sudden it's beautiful out and everyone's outside. It's a season of refreshment. God actually gives us those for our soul when we need it in the midst of difficulty. Another passage that has helped me is Psalm 30, verse five. Psalm 30, verse five. It says, weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. There's an impermanence to sorrow. It's temporary. And this has been very helpful for me if I'm going through what might feel a little bit like a mini dark night of the soul where I'm just down. Just knowing that that will last for a night, but there's joy around the corner. When you know that, and that's actually very helpful if you struggle with depression, anxiety, just know that those things happen in waves. And when you're in the midst of that, if you can just tell yourself, part of my responsibility as a follower of Jesus is to just hang on and trust that at some point in the next sometime, it will get lighter and there will be a glimpse of joy. There will be a moment of joy. That helps. And the last one is John 16, verses 32 and 33. John 16, verses 32 and 33. This is Jesus speaking. He's finishing up his upper room discourse before he goes and prays and is betrayed and crucified. He's, his last conversation with his disciples before that happens. And he says, behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered. He's talking to his 12 closest he says, you will be scattered, each to his own home, and you'll leave me alone. He knows they don't know how to suffer yet. They're going to run, but Jesus didn't. You'll leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I think he's telling that, them that so that later when they feel really guilty that they all left him. 
they would remember, don't worry, I'm not alone. The Father's with me. He's better company for these types of things anyways. Then he said, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. And they did, if you read about the ways that most of the disciples died for their faith. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I've overcome the world. We have resources available to us in Scripture from God, from the Spirit of God, to get us through suffering. And not only to get us through suffering, but to make us more glorious through the suffering. If we can stay with it without trying to escape it, if we can remain with God and ask him to draw near to us those things, he will use it to make us the type of person we would have never been if it wasn't for that suffering. He uses everything. And you'll see grace everywhere as he helps and sustains you. That's enough for today. Thank you for listening. Check out our website at southsideworcester.com.